Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Catholic with Father Scott Lawler. As we always try to do, let's start with the prayer for the cause of sainthood for Venerable Bishop Frederick Barriga. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, thank you for the life and holiness of your servant, Frederick Barriga. I pray you will honour him by the title of saint. He dedicated himself completely to missionary activity to make you known, loved and served by the people who you love. As a man of peace and love, Barriga brought peace and love wherever he travelled. Lord, grant Venerable Bishop Barriga the grace of beatification. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm uh, going to try something that was suggested to me uh, a while back. A few years ago. Um, it was actually when I was still teaching classes in person, which I'm hoping to recommence. Um, it was to give a, a list of suggestions of books for people to to read. You know, so everybody knows, anybody's listened to me and things like that, know there are certain books I repeat quite a lot, so I'm obviously going to recommend to people to read the works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes and Professor Challenger, and of course any of the works of J.W.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and Chesterton. Um, but I mention some other books as I go on, and sometimes in homilies I, I mention works of literature, some of them more classic works than, than others. Obviously sometimes I or maybe not obviously, but I sometimes quote things from Shakespeare. Um, but what I was thinking I would do is, over this next year, is try occasionally to give personal reflections on books that I've read uh, and how they perhaps have affected me or touched me or made me think about things in a, a different fashion. And my intent... Famous last words there. My intent is to do it from memory. It's not to read, reread the book, take down copious notes, and then convey to everybody the here's what I've got out of this book. So that's it. May not carry on. I might do this first one, and the feedback I get might be, "What a lot of rambling nonsense you come out with there, Father." Uh, so we'll see if if I think it's it's worked, or if people tell me it's worked, then then I'll I'll try a few more. If not, then who knows? Uh, the other thing is I will be putting out. Um, I know I try not to make my radio programs time sensitive because generally that means that we can put them out at different times if something happens and I've got to uh, go do things to do with the parish or at one point when I became ill. So but because this is this actually is the the, the first one of the first one made for twenty twenty three, I am aware that there's a couple of barrigas, September, October and November, uh, entries from his diaries. So I'm hoping to do them in the next couple of months as well. 
so that being said, going back to what I was talking about, what I what I plan to do is tell you about a book, and then from memory tell you what I remember about the book and different things that I noticed about the book. And because I'm recording this within Christmas time, I'm going to have a go with the first one. It's not really a book, it's a novella. You know, novella is a small novel. Uh, and it's one of the, the best-known books for this time of the year. Many people probably haven't, perhaps haven't read it, but they will have seen multiple different versions of it, whether it be on stage, animation, or in on the TV, or in the movies. Um, personally, I think one of the greatest versions of it ever made was done by the Muppets. Uh, Alistair Sim, the great British actor, he did uh, a version of it in the late 40s, I think it was, and it is absolutely fantastic as well. Bill Murray did a, a humorous version of it, I think that may have been in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, that um, I certainly remember thinking that was humorous. A couple of years ago, the BBC uh, did a version of it that was very, very dark. Uh, so, what am I talking about? Most of you will have got it by now. Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. Now, it's not the only Christmas story that Dickens wrote. Dickens wrote one called Five Chimes, um, which was about a haunted house, I think. And he wrote a couple of other shorter things, because Dickens wrote for a living. So uh, he was like uh, G.K. Chesterton and some others. Uh, actually, Lewis would be another one. They were, I don't mean this offensively, but they were churning stuff out, because that's what they did for a living. Uh, Arthur Conan Doyle would have been a, an example of that. They were writing for periodicals or quarterlies and things like that, so they had to get the stuff out as often as they could. So, a couple of things about Dickens. Uh, Dickens came from what would have been called, I guess, then, If I and, and remember, I'm doing this all from memory. Um, I've got nothing in front of me apart from apart from hoping my, my memory's going to work. He came from what was a middle-class family in the 1800s, the early 1800s. That that middle-class, kind of merchant class, uh, uh, had begun. The, the lower financial income merchant class had begun. People had smaller shops and maybe smaller businesses. And his, uh, his father had uh, a business that went to the wall. And they ended up, the whole family, ended up going into debtor's prison. And that was very formative in a lot of the observations that Dickens made on life and also his view of religion. And uh, I definitely will obviously be talking more about that as we go on during this this broadcast. They were in debtor's prison and when they got out, uh, they, they managed to get some higher level of life uh, back, but uh, Dickens didn't get to carry on at the fee-paying school that he was at. He went to another one, and then I think he left school when he was sixteen. He didn't go on to 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 college, and that's when he started as a, a cub reporter. I think it was for uh, at those times. You know, I think 
places like New York and London, they had something like like uh, fifteen plus daily newspapers because because people were on the phones and TVs and stuff like that, and and some of them were just complete total garbage. They just made it up as you went along. Things like the National Enquirer, I guess, although I think that's weekly now. So quite a lot of people who went on to be well-known writers, they got jobs on these newspapers. Mark Twain, I think that's how he started as well. He did a few other things. He did he was a miner for a while um, and worked on the Mississippi, I think, as well. And then got a job as a reporter, became the editor and things. And that's sort of what happened with Dickens. He got a job as a reporter. They liked the quality of his writing, so he started getting more and more stuff, and he did write some stuff under another name. He wrote under Boz, B-O-Z, and some of that got got printed as well. Most of Dickens' works are observations about society, but some of them have got quite a lot of humour in them. The Pickwick Papers uh, has quite a bit of humour, and I also th- thought and think that there are some humorous things in A Christmas Carol, uh, but I don't think you get them in most of the the visual ones. You get them if you read the novella. As I say, it's not very long. I think it's divided into things called staves, so they're not really chapters. He called them staves. And I think it's four of them that uh, it's divided into, because you get the, the intro, then you've got the the three ghosts that come and then you have the small winding up of of the story. So let me um, collect my thoughts for a second. Um, you won't notice because I'm going to pause the recording and then delve into A Christmas Carol, the reflections of this Catholic priest. Now, I'm beginning to dawn on me just how difficult this might be. <laughs> okay, so it starts off with um, the first part is called Marley's Ghost, I think. And like Dickens, Dickens starts, is it down and out in London and Paris? It starts with the great line, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. The, the opening lines for Christmas Carol, if I remember correctly, are something to the effect of, Marley was dead. There can be no doubts, and it is important that before we carry on with this story, that Marley is dead. And then he has this <laughs> very funny line where he talks about Marley was as, as dead as a doornail, and he goes on to say, not that I can say why particularly a, a doornail is, is more dead than any other piece of hardware. I personally would have thought that a coffin nail was more dead than a, than a, a doornail, but I digress. It's really important that Marley, you know that Marley is is dead. And what a way to start a book, because um, immediately my, my mind when I'm thinking of those things is Memento Mori, you know, remember, remember the dead, we're all going to die. And the fundamental about this story Dickens is saying to us, uh, you need to understand this man that I'm about to introduce the ghost of is dead, and everybody knows he's dead. 
Interesting, you in the, whichever gospel it is, is it Matthew's where you talk it has Lazarus, and Lazarus coming from the tomb, and we're told that Lazarus has been dead for four days. Why are we told that in particular that detail? Because under Judaic um, Judaic rather, thank you, law. For someone to be declared fully dead, they had to be dead for three days or longer. So really what's being said there uh, about the Jesus raising Lazarus is, he was really dead. You need to be clear on that. He was dead. And of course that's why we, like, with the Lord, the three days, the reason why it's important that we know the three days is because that was to prove to people he is dead. Because... If Jesus hasn't died, then Christianity is a lie, because he never raised from the dead then. In Islam, I think it is, believes that Jesus was a prophet, but he didn't die. There was a switcheroo, and somebody else died in his in his place. So then you completely take away the divinity of the Lord, and you go down a, lead down a whole different path, of course. So that line... Marley was dead. It's important we understand that he was dead. Has always struck me as uh, well, not always, but more recently, in more recent years, struck me as just a, an important thing for us to bear in mind. Maybe evangelizing people, we should say to people, so we're clear: Christ died. There's no ambiguity about that. Christ died, and then the story goes on. I think we're then told that. Um, Scrooge Ebenezer Scrooge was the witness to that he signed off on the fact that, that Marley was dead and his writ was worth uh, believing in any place so we have the apostles who tell us these stories. You know, Luke tells us, and he puts it in a time scale. Matthew puts it in a time scale because we're told the name of the rulers. It's partly why, a big part of why Pontius Pilate is mentioned in the Creed. Because then you might have wondered over the years, you might have thought to yourself, oh, why? why are we naming him? That seems so unfair. It's to make sure that people understand that when you talk of Christ, you're talking of a historical event. And so that's what Dickens is setting up here at the very start. This is a, an event that really happened. And one of the witnesses of this is someone who is beyond, from a financial, from a business point of view, is beyond reproach. You know, St. Paul says in one of his letters, uh, he, he appeared to Peter, he appeared to the apostles, he appeared to the multitudes, then he appeared to me. And his implication from from uh, Paul in that letter is, if you, because I think he's speaking to the Corinthians, if you get on your boats and go across the Mediterranean, you will find people who saw him walk. So not only did he die, but there are multiple credible witnesses to the fact that that he rose from the dead and spoke to people and ate with people. There were many thousands who who saw him. We then get a description of um, Ebenezer Scrooge, and obviously, because as I say, I'm remembering this. One of the things I remember, uh, no pun intended here, but one of the things I remember most 
was chilling about this, about description of Scrooge. Scrooge is described as carrying no warmth. I can't remember how Dickens puts it. Like he carries a, he carries a chill or he brings a chill. There's no warmth to him. There's no. Uh, it's like there's a, there's a cloud over him. And there's even one point where I think Dickens says that a blind, a beggar's dog will take his master out of the way of, of Scrooge because it's better to have nothing than to encounter this chill around this, this man. Um, and it's an interior chill, of course. It's, it's not an exterior thing, it's an interior thing. Um, even though this story takes place in winter, uh, there's a there's something about this man, about his demeanor, about his behavior, that um, that leaves people repulsed by by it. And again, I think about um, it's more than one place, but the prophet Ezekiel telling us that he will take out your heart of stone and give you the redeemer will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You think about that. That's a stone, the expression we have, stone cold, and giving you the, the, the thing that pumps the life-giving warmth around our bodies. This is almost like Dickens is saying, this man had a heart of stone and was it was perceived by, by other people. And then I remember that talks about his place of work. Now he's in a he's in a cul-de-sac, but it talks about he can hear people go by and interact outside, but they won't. They're not with him. No one's knocking on his door. No one's coming to speak to him. And then there's this description of uh, the fog. So in London. Uh, again, in many places, uh, uh, Chicago, Detroit, probably, but certainly in, in London, Birmingham in England, Glasgow in Scotland, and Edinburgh in Scotland, and Liverpool in England, they had these fogs right up until the 60s that they actually called them pea supers because they were a, a green, nox, noxious smoke. And my parents tell me about when they were young, you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. These, this is before they had the smokeless fuel and things. And the trams, the trolley buses that went around in uh, Glasgow, they called them the creeping death because they made no sound because they were, they were electric and they ran on rails. And if the conductor wasn't ringing the bell all the time, you could be crossing the road and just knocked down by one. Anyway, so the scene that we're getting here is this this man who has a heart of stone and no love in him. The world is happening outside of his environment. And there's a darkness encroaching into even the place where he works, which is chill and cold. And if you remember, he's got this uh, man who works for him, Bob Cratchit, who uh, is interesting. There's a couple of times in the, uh, the novella, I think, that Dickens mentions... Bob Cratchit wears a comforter and I think at one point, I think it's in this in Christmas Carol uh, and he needs the comforter because he needs the comfort so Scrooge is almost like someone who has separated themselves 
from common humanity. He walks with this chill. And then, there's a couple of people do come in. His nephew comes in to the place of work and wishes him a Merry Christmas. And uh, so where he comes out with the famous words, uh, Scrooge does, Bah humbug. And the nephew says to him, how can this be? How can this be humbug? It's, it's Christmas. It's the season for for doing good, and and Scrooge says to him, "No good has ever done you. It just you start off poor and you become poorer because you waste money on things that you can barely afford." And how does how does that give you any cheer? And his his nephew says, uh, "You start off rich." And you get richer, but it doesn't do you any good. It hasn't made you any better. And he and he demands that his nephew leaves, and he damns anybody who celebrates uh, Christmas. And Bob Cratchit uh, says, "Here, here," to the nephew, um, wishing Merry Christmas and talking about how important the season is. And Scrooge says to him, "Any more of that, and you'll lose your job." So. Scrooge really is a repulsive individual. Anyway, the nephew invites him to go to his his house for Christmas and departs. And then the door opens and two other men come in, two men of business come in, two well-to-do men. And they ask if they're speaking to Mr. Marley or Mr. Scrooge. And he says... Um, Marley's dead, he's been dead these, whatever it is, seven years, I think. And they say, oh, and I'm sure that his generosity lives beyond him. And uh, Scrooge says something like, uh, yes, it does. And then they say that they're collecting money for people for that time of the year because of the conditions they live in. This is an, an interesting uh, an aside. So they're not seeking to change society. Rather than address the woes of society, they're wanting to throw money at it to alleviate their conscience. It's just an aside that maybe sometimes people haven't thought of. The the Howard League, which still exists, was created in the 1800s in order to address what was happening in the workhouses and the state of British prisons. But these men are seeking to bring Christmas cheer to people for that time of the year, not necessarily trying to change, like the Howard League was, and has changed the conditions in which people lived. And of course Scrooge's response is, are there no workhouses, are there no debtors' prisons, are there no... And they say, unfortunately, yes, there are. And Scrooge says, well, I'm, I'm glad there are, because that's what I pay my taxes for, so people can go to them. I think there's a we've seen an insight to the fact that uh, Dickens felt that society, wealthy people in society, fail and fail the those who are less well off. He's not wrong to a certain extent. That still happens in a lot of places. But I just think that's interesting. It's one of the the many non-Catholic things that are in this Christmas Carol. They're not seeking to change the world. They're seeking to alleviate 
their guilt. Anyway, he sends them away with a flea in the rear. Then um, Bob Cratchit uh, is trying to work out how he's going to ask for the day off, Christmas Day. And uh, Scrooge says to him, um, you're picking my pocket. And he says, it's only one day a year. And uh, Scrooge says to him, you wouldn't think that if I was docking your wages. Now, isn't that interesting that Scrooge is going to pay him that day, if I remember correctly, even if even though he's not working, that seems out of character for Scrooge. Does that perhaps give us a, a an inkling that there is some hope for this man? That it's not his whole his conscience has not been completely killed? I'd like to think so, especially in view of what we believe, the fact that uh, all people are are open to redemption. Anyway, well, Bob Cratchit leaves, and he, and he, I think it's like a dozen times or something like that. He he goes up and down the the ice chute that the children have made um, in, in joy of uh, having finished work and for the sake of the Christmas uh, period. Then um, Scrooge closes up. And he heads off home, and he's living in old Marley's house, and it's in a cul-de-sac where nobody else lives. It's all places of business now. And as he gets up to the door, the door knocker changes, and it changes into Marley's face. And he sees Marley's face looking at him, and he blinks his eyes, and then he opens the multiple locks on his door, and he walks in and he looks up to the top of the stairs, and he sees what he thinks is a hearse going by. And because uh, he's got hardly any light because he's so tight, so he's got one, one candle. Um, I just re- remembered as well when he's talking to his nephew. He chastises his nephew for having get uh, getting married, and his nephew says, "But I fell in love," and um, Scrooge is sarcastic about it. And of course, that's something that literally comes back to haunt him. That. That talk of love and what is love, and that stone chilled heart can't can't take that in. So he's he's rebuffing, re- repelling the fact, the joy even seen in the in the other. And I think it's also Dickens. Dickens makes the point after when when he gets to going back to the the doorknob, no changing and seeing the hearse, that um, Scrooge has no imagination because. He has no sense of the wonder of of the world around him. So he's not, I believe the Victorian term is, he's not of a fanciful, a fanciful affect. Uh, he just hasn't, it's not entering his name, his, his mind, that um, wonders and things like that might, might happen. And thankfully, of course, there were plenty of Victorians that did. We were able to write Dickens being one of them, etc., but uh, that makes the point that Scrooge is not the kind that would be prone to seeing things that weren't there. He then um, Scrooge, Scrooge starts a fire and has a problem getting warm, which uh, sticks in my mind because of the previous description of the fact he was a chilled man, which does indicate that Dickens was talking from a spiritual point of view. And there's something about the the fireplace. If I, this, the fireplace has got images on it 
which I think are biblical images that uh, Scrooge has never really noticed before about different battles between good and evil or something like that. Um, and he has to get close to it because he wants to get warm and he's never really looked at them as closely before because of course he doesn't allow things like God into his into his thinking. He has some uh, some tea, I think it is, a gruel, some watery porridge or something. And then the bells start ringing, and it's a bell uh, above the fireplace, and then all the bells in the house, including the, the clocks, begin to chime, and then they stop suddenly. And then he starts to hear from down below in the lower parts of the house the clank of chains getting closer and closer and closer. And then, of course, Marley's ghost walks through the door. And, of course, um, Scrooge recognises him. And he's got, Marley's ghost has got all these chains and he's got all these iron purses and money boxes and things uh, attached to him. He also has a, a cloth around his, his head. That they used to do that to prevent the, the jaw when it went um, limp or falling down. You know, <coughs> excuse me, when I worked as an RN, we used to do that with people who died. As we wound them up, we would roll up a towel and put it underneath their chin in order to keep their their, uh, their head looking while well, their mouth closed. Otherwise, the jaw will drop down and, of course, people look kind of ghastly when that's the case. And, he, and um, Scrooge is not impressed <laughs> probably because he doesn't have much of a imagination and he says who are you and the shade responds, responds that's not a question the question is who was it and uh, this conversation starts and every so often Scrooge says something that's really uh, <laughs> Humorous or sarcastic, I think at one point uh, he says to him, you've, uh, you've been walking all this time, you must have covered a long distance, where have you been? And the, the Marley's ghost gets annoyed and shakes his chains. And then when he says to him about, I, I've asked for you to be able to give him a second chance and you're going to be visited by three Three ghosts, he says. If you don't mind, all the same, I'd rather you didn't. Thanks very much. So he's, I mean, he's completely un ungrateful. He either doesn't believe it, or he's not got any way in his, his head of understanding uh, that. It always reminds me, that scene reminds me of, there's a, in Rome, there's a, a museum for purgatory, or a museum for the the Damned. I think it might be called uh, Museo di Inferno. Uh, and in it they have things, it's in, a, it's in a church near the hospital that's on the little island in the Tyburn. I think the actual the the, the uh, church might be called St. John's Trans Tibertino. Anyway, in this if you can get in to see it, it's not very big it's just a kind of room. One of the main things is a desk there with a handprint burned into it and the story behind it is that a parish priest of that church 
was visited by a previous parish priest who was dead, who had come back from either purgatory or, or hell, I can't remember which, um, in order to tell him he needed to change his ways or he was destined to go into hell. And he leant on the desk and his hand burned into the desk. So this this encounter that Scrooge has with Marley, you would think, would cause most of us, or anybody, to to change their ways. But we know that's not true. We know that there are, are people who will say, oh, uh, God was very good to me, um, uh, because of God I've got this, or I survived this, and it doesn't change their behaviours. I remember dealing with a, a, a couple who, um, she'd had a very, very bad uh, abusive uh, first marriage, and the uh, husband dead, alcoholic. Anyway, but she was escaping from him once, and she was pulled over by a state trooper, who, long story short, she ended up getting uh, engaged to a state trooper and got married, and uh, she told me you know, that was that was God's intervention. But they, they didn't go to Mass. And when I said that to them, well, so how are you repaying God? You're not repaying God by how you, by how you behave. They looked at me somewhat strangely. And I think that's something that's a good lesson for us. God presents us all many occasions where we things could have been worse or actual gifts from God. And how do we respond? Do we respond by, by saying, I need to change this because God's given me a second chance? Or do we just think, well, that's just one of those things? And we don't put it into to practice. Because after all, everything we have, everything we have is given to us by God. Nothing that we have uh, have we achieved without God. Even if I take an extreme example, Michael Jordan could only be the great Michael Jordan at basketball because God gave him arms and legs. So don't sit there thinking, oh, but I've got my house, or I've got this, or I've got this, I've done this, and it was down to me. It wasn't down to you. You didn't get your intelligence. God gave you the ability to have that. All the things that you were able to achieve were there because God gave them to you in potentiality. Everything you have. How do we make thanks thanksgiving? How do we make that Eucharistia, that thanksgiving to God? Because even that get if, if all that happened with Scrooge was that Marley had appeared, that wouldn't have changed him. Chesterton interestingly makes an observation. I think it's him about uh, Christmas Carol, and he, and he says that um, what happened in Christmas Carol may not have actually changed somebody like Scrooge, but it can change those of us who can read it from outside. And I think that's that's quite insightful. Many people have sort of gone through what Scrooge is about to go through to a greater or lesser extent, facing their mortality, facing what they need needed to change. But it's probably a rarity that those who actually do change and stay changed. In fact, Scrooge even has a discussion with the ghost about that he doesn't believe him. That he could be a, a, a what is it he calls him a, an indigested piece of cheese, I think at one point, and and I think he also holds up he holds up a, a toothpick 
and he said, I could swallow this, and for the rest of the the day or the week, I could be seeing hobgoblins and things like that. So, it's, I mean, this is, the guy's walked, the, the shed has walked through the door. He's sitting in a chair, although we're told that uh, Scrooge can actually see through him. He can see the buttons on the back of his coat. He's got all those chains, and yet uh, Scrooge is, and the bells rang, and Scrooge is just scouting the whole thing. You're not real. Um, you're just a figment of my imagination. And of course we're told that the chain that um, intertwines Marley is the chain of his own making. Um, interestingly though, it's all about how he should have been doing good to other people. There's a thread through this all, it's about doing good to other people and not even all the time, but doing good to other people as opposed to actually changing and becoming a good person. The whole of this this novella is much more based on actions that can be seen as opposed to doing things that actually change you internally. And many of you have heard this before, said by me or other, uh, as well as other people. Uh, what is the greater thing? To help someone get to heaven or to give them a loaf of bread? It's obviously the, the greater thing is to get them to heaven. Now, the two things shouldn't be mutually exclusive, but one is much more important. And that's where I would say in particular, and, and a lot of Catholics like this, this story, but they don't reflect on, there's not very much Catholic about this story. The story is not asking for people to, to, to change and make amends. Although Scrooge does talk, as you can get to it near the end of the book, there are, he gives money eventually to those two men. And he says there are many past Jews that are, that are made up. But there's very little talk of God in this. It's, even when um, one of the, the things that Scrooge sees when he, I think it's the, the ghost of Christmas present, excuse me, takes him to the, the Cratchit house and they, um, Bob wants to drink a, drink a toast to uh, Scrooge. His wife says, that'll be the day. And he says, think of the season, not think of the Christ child or think of what Christ did for us. So, And there's also no aspect in this story of offering up what God might give you. It's all that it could be changed if people, those who had the, 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 the power to do it and the will to do it, could change society if they wanted so that there wouldn't be any of these things. Of course, that's not true. The Lord tells us, tells us there will always be poor with us. It uh, seems to be the nature of the human condition. But I got slightly ahead of myself here. So going back, that Marley is told them that he's going to get a second chance and they're going to come. And Scrooge says, I'd rather not. He is declining what 
talk for want of a better expression here, that God is offering through Marley, <coughs> he's de- he's declining that chance to change himself. We, as what we believe, you know, that uh, God doesn't send people to hell. People send themselves to hell by refusing and declining to do what God has asked of us. Yet here is a clear case of someone who's being offered redemption and declines and God forces it upon him. Is he taking away his free will? He's not respecting the fact that Scrooge says, no, I don't want it. And I think that's something to to think about on uh, this whole this whole story. As I say, there's a lot of very of of things that are that are not Catholic about this this book. And when um, Marley's ghost is leaving the window, we get an, a, a glimpse into what I'm presuming Dickens uh, is describing hell to be, where you see these shades that have all the chains um, floating around wailing because they can't help people now. Is it because of the regrets that they have? And is that a a torture? Uh, It would seem to be a torture, uh, but they're not in the fires of hell. They're wandering the world, constantly wandering the world, seeing the things that could that they could have fixed and now can't can't fix. It, it, again, it's got more to do with functional actions, because if they still have some kind of existence, we're not told that they're praying for people. We're told that they are they are wailing. Wanting to, wanting to help, but then we know supplication to God is a real thing. We read that in the letter of St. James, read that in the end of the, the book of Job, about the prayers, uh, well it says of course the prayers of a just person, but if these people are now sincere in, in their desire to be changed, although it's too late, if they have some kind of existence, are they able then to, to pray? Um, it would seem not in, in Dickens' theology. And we move on to the well, the first of the three spirits, Christmas Past. The description of uh, Christmas Past in the in the book is very very peculiar. Long arms, short arms, strong legs, looking like twenty people, malformed and. I'm not really sure what that's that's all about. I just remember trying to work out in my head why would Dickens be looking at that unless it's because the past is such an ethereal thing. You know, I'm doing this from memory and am I remembering this correctly and things. But the other thing is that the the past glows and the hat that the past has is a candle snuffer. And even in the first encounter, it, Scrooge almost instinctively wants to pull the snuffer down. He's fascinated by the snuffer and the ghost says to him, do you already want to extinguish the memories of the past before you've even been reminded of them? And then the encounter with the 
the the ghost in the past. It, it it's a bit strange. At, at first, you get them, you know, you find out that Scrooge had a very bad, a very sad childhood. Um, for some reason, his father didn't take to him, but did to his his sister, and he was a kind of cheap boarding school, which was very common in in those days in uh, England. And but then he got a good a good job in uh, Fizzywigs, and you see that 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 was he had a good example there. He had he, he might have. You know, that's a kind of nurture nature thing. Is is Scrooge like this by nature, or is it because of what happened to him? Too many people nowadays say, "Oh, it's because of what happened to to people," until it doesn't suit them and they can't find what that was, and they drop into the well. It's nature; it's how they were born. So we're seeing Dickens is presenting to us that yes, as a as a boy, Dickens uh, Scrooge had an unfortunate childhood, but a vivid imagination. He recounts that stories. I think it's about Alibaba and things like that, and it gets him excited, which he's lost. You know, he's lost that thing I was saying earlier on about um, it's not in him to have look at the wonder of the world. He only sees darkness and collecting money for the sake of collecting money. It would seem because he's not doing him any good, as his nephew pointed out to him. Anyway, we find out that his sister was a. A lovely uh, woman who died, died young, had one son, and uh, the begin to see the reflective nature of what this whole process is going to be for Scrooge as he begins to realise that the only memory of his sister is the nephew who he damned for saying Merry Christmas to him. And then his first job, and then we find out that he was engaged to a lovely woman and uh, she departed with them because when they first got to know each other, they wanted to achieve something, but they were both poor, and now Scrooge is driven by avarice about collecting things. That's his main love, and he doesn't really deny it. In fact, I think, if I remember, she corrects, she, she, she confronts him with, if... You got to know me now. Would you even think about getting engaged? And he pauses, and that shows us, of course, that the the money has become the the thing. And yet again, we're we're told we're told it's, it's for what sake? It just seems to have taken over him like a poison. It's not for the betterment of things. I um had the unfortunate or fortunate. Uh, to deal with a long time ago, with a, with a couple, an elderly couple, who were extremely wealthy, and um, lived in terrible conditions, because they just had lost the ability to spend money. It was very very peculiar, and I always think of them and offer prayers for them. Not a good way that they lived or died. Uh, anyway, so that's the ghost of Christmas past and this is all this is, whole thing has taken me so long I just looked down at my timer and I've got like 10 minutes to to wrap this this up so I guess I'll wait and see what kind of feedback I get from whether this was a good exercise or not. So then you get Christmas present I love that line where he wakes up and he, he sees the light under the door and he walks in and 
there's this Christmas present, this hale and hearty Christmas present, sitting on top of all these this cornucopia of of foods and things like that. And he and he says to him, "Come in, man, and know me better." It's a great line. Uh, that's a, a line that that Christ is saying to everyone who passes by a church or even who looks in a church, "Come in, man, and know me better." And as he travels with that saying, uh, that or saying that ghost. He's got to hold on to him, and he shows him how the Christmas spirit um, can be found in many places, and how it's dispensed by his beneficence. It's not something that people are entitled to, it's something that is a gift. The Dickens may not even realise he's saying this, but he is really talking about how much we don't understand, but it's a gift from God. All these things are gifts from God. He goes to a lighthouse. He goes to a, 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 a what would you call it, a mining town in Wales. He goes into the Cratchit house household. That's where that episode I talked about about drinking his health and Bob Cratchit saying, "For the sake of the season, not for the sake of Christ, but for the sake of season, the season." But it's quite funny in there because uh, I think that's a bit where Peter, the son, has got. His dad's shirt cuff, uh, shirt collar on, and it's so high it goes right up above his nose. And Tiny Tim and Bob Cratchit are the only ones who've been to church. And they've been to church. And it's mentioned again later that Bob Cratchit has been to church. Yet they're all gathering for Christmas and things like that. But where is the Christ in Christmas? See, the thing is that in this novella, Christ is not in Christmas here. It is the actions of men towards other men that's at the centre of this. That's how people are being judged. They're not being judged by the fact that they should do it for the sake of the other, regardless, because God made us, we belong to him. So, uh, he begins. Scrooge begins to see that he's failed his, his fellow man, uh, and then there's the two children... That are, or the movement under the the gown of Christmas present and Christmas present is becoming a, an old man moving towards death of course because he only lives for 24 hours uh, but before I get to that Scrooge says something this must be some personal foible of Dickens um, if people if this means so much to people and they've got so much joy why do you uh, prevent them from doing it and the ghost says, what do you mean? And uh, they're talking about uh, being able to buy things and things being open on a Sunday. And the ghost says, it wasn't me, it wasn't me and my, my brothers and my brothers and my family who did this. Man has made some of these rules. So this is where, in case you didn't know this, Dickens was an atheist and he kept it secret. And this is his dig at organised church. Obviously he's not digging at Catholicism. He, he would have known nothing about Catholicism. He's digging at the established church, would be, which would be the Anglicans, and about how they have rules and stuff like that. So he's a non-conformist who also doesn't believe in, in God. He is one of those, like that, um, Bertrand Russell, the philosopher who died, and he died in the 70s, I think, a very well-known philosopher. Bertrand Russell uh, spouted a whole lot of 
Christian, in fact, often Catholic things, but he tried to atheize them. He had a great famous occasion where he was in some debate with a, with a well-known Catholic priest, a Jesuit, and um, he tried to defend being a pacifist for because people shouldn't be killed because they're people. Well, that doesn't work. There's no argument to be made for that. People shouldn't be killed because they're made in the image and likeness of God. But just because someone else exists doesn't mean that they shouldn't be killed. And anyway, that's a different a different thing. So, and eventually now we we get to the 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 ghost of um, Christmas yet to come, who doesn't speak. And he's sort of described, looks a bit like, and that's how most people portray him, like the Grim Reaper, tall, just uh, wearing a black gown, and you can't see, see his, his face. And he, bit by bit, shows um, Scrooge, but this time he's desperate to know uh, what the future holds, and can it be changed, can he do, can he change things? And he asks that a couple of times. We have this uh, ghastly scene where the charwoman, that's the cleaning woman, the um, laundrette, laundress and the funeral director's assistant all meet at the pawn shop and it's all stuff, intimate things from what we know from the outside but from the, de- the, the, be- the death room of Scrooge is calico, his linen shirt or, or nightgown is taken off, his um, curtains around his bed are taken down there, they all had curtains around their bed with the big glass rings and all that if they were wealthy enough because they had no central heating so that would keep the, the heat in um, then they're all paid and, and they laugh about it and they say it's really what he deserved we see some businessmen who uh, best, bear in mind were told at the very start that, that Scrooge was a man, a great man of business, and of course Marley says to him, like, "Your business should have been looking after people, after your fellow men." And we eventually see his grave, and we see that Tiny Tim is going to die because Scrooge asks, and Scrooge says to the ghost, um, "I can change. Tell me, I can change. Tell me, this is not written in stone that I can change." And then he wakes up and he opens the window and he asks the boy that's passing by what uh, what day is it? And the boy thinks he's a loony and says it's Christmas Day. And interestingly, the poultry is open on Christmas Day. That certainly didn't happen in the 20th century in Britain. They didn't bring it back Sunday opening, I think, until the 1990s. Uh, never mind being open on Christmas. Anyway, the boys sent to get this huge big turkey that he's going to send to the Cratchit household. Uh, he, Scrooge gets dressed. And then, interestingly, Dickens, in, uh, in passing, says that Scrooge goes to church and he sings at church and he's being very polite to everybody. He goes to his nephew's house um, and the nephew accepts him and he has a lovely time. Next day, he gets in early and Bob Cratchit is late because of partying, because I guess the size of the turkey. And but um, and then Scrooge plays a joke on him, um, 
And then we're told that there never was a man who kept the Christmas spirit as well as Scrooge ever thereafter. But there's more to the following Christ than the Christmas spirit. Now, Dickens might well mean that he became a good Christian man, but it's not what he says. And again, it's got to do with with money or, or doing things, actions like that. There's, there's no talk of prayer in the, the thing. Uh, I think in the Cratchit household they do uh, thank God for the benevolence. But it really is, if you think about this, this is a Christmas story that really does not have Christ in it. And it's very interesting to me how people grasp onto it and it's such an important thing to so many people and it does not have Christ in it. And even, <laughs> there are even some versions now, BBC did a version of it, the one I was saying it was a lot more uh, dark and there's really no mention of, as I believe what I'm told, no mention of Christianity in that uh, at all. So, the thing is, as much as is, I mean, obviously, I, I've read this a lot, a lot to be able to remember as well as I think I have. Um, it's an interesting, it's a fascinating story, but it's not a Catholic story, and it, I, I think it helps us reflect. And some of the other books that I'm hoping that I might touch upon, uh, I might do one on Dracula, a program on Dracula and Frankenstein, and maybe Gulliver's Travels, although that's very complicated. Um, these are not; they're not Catholic books. But they're interesting from the point of view of they they help us maybe sh- illustrate why Catholicism's right and it's not all just about being nice to each other. That there are there's more to that. That's about changing yourself and seeing it Christ in in the other. So that's that. Uh, I would appreciate. I don't usually ask for feedback, but I'd appreciate any any feedback that I get to see whether I should. That was a pointless exercise or um, whether I should have a, a go at, at doing a, uh, another. So now let's end with with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the words of Tiny Tim, God bless us all. Till next time, God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today. You can listen again to this or any other episode of Let's Talk Catholic at our blog, letstalkcatholicpodcast.blogspot.com, or you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or almost any other podcast provider. You can also like us on Facebook. Let's Talk Catholic is produced by Nick Medelsky and can be heard right here on Relevant Radio in Northern Michigan, Saturdays at noon. Excellent.